Hello, hello, and welcome back to another week of Kent and the Steering Team. As always, you are joined by myself, Drew, my good mates, Philip and Bianca. Unfortunately, Kent can't be here this week. He's actually got himself stuck in the ticket line at the cinema. Can't make up his mind about what film to see tonight. Anyway, on with the show. How are we, team? Good. Really good, actually. Good. Yeah. Good to hear. You? Good as well. It's been a good day. Gooder. Gooder. Yeah. Yes. Well, before we descend into some cheesy puns, we better get on with the show. Um, Today, we are giving a review of Tenet. Now, for us to do that, we actually have to know what this movie's about. So, any of you got any ideas? Look, I um, Um... went into this movie (laughs) without having watched any single trailer. I, I genuinely had no idea what it was about, thinking, ooh, I'm going to get a pleasant surprise. And I did get a pleasant surprise. The pleasant surprise is I watched... How long is the film? About two and a half I hours. I watched a two and a half hour film and walked out and still had no I fucking idea what I had just watched. So that was the surprise. No, but, but you see, Bianca, yeah. that it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't have been a surprise because the poster says Christopher Nolan film. Um, and the entire point of Christopher Nolan films is that they're meant to make absolutely zero sense for the first 15 times you watch them. Um, I can tell you, Drew, that I did watch a couple of trailers, but really didn't understand them because the trailers give nothing away. And I left the film yep. with some basic understanding of what the fuck just happened. Sarah, on the other hand, had absolutely no idea, but she still respected that it was an impressive film nonetheless. Uh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, but uh, yeah. confusing. Well, see, I watched every bit of preview or whatever that I could get my hands on because I, I'm just overly curious and I'm not very patient. And I went went to a preview screening, walked out, had no clue whatsoever. Went and watched it a second time. Still was a bit okay, but I think I think between the three of us, mm-hmm. we've got a bit of a handle on what's going well, on. Well, I think we have three. And I think we can. Uh, I think we have three very different levels of study versus watching it and understanding what it was. So maybe we can piece something together. Now, I think we could. Now, let's just be clear to the audience listening at home that there will be spoilers in this. So if you do want to avoid those spoilers, go out and see the film before you listen to this podcast, because we don't want to ruin anything for you. Because despite the fact that, well, actually, in actual fact, even if, even though we're going to tell you the entire plot line, it's not going to make any sense to you, so it's not going to make any difference if you've seen the film or not beforehand, honestly, really. And it is a good um, movie to watch. Like, it is visually fantastic, yeah. and there's some exciting things that happen there that yes. get your heart racing, but you have no idea as to why. It's just like watching porn for the first time. I don't know time. why your heart's racing, it just is. Now, <laughs> now I do have to say, though, that this film does do a couple of... Um, the deadly sins that uh, Christopher Nolan is famous for doing. Um, mm. So there are some kind of um, errors in there where perhaps because I don't fully understand the film, it seems to be that he's kind of skipped on some story elements or some logic elements to the story, which for yeah. a film that he, or a script that he overwrites very clearly um, it feels like he may have got slightly wrong, but also, yeah, there's some 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 deadly sins in there, or some some unforgivable sins in there that he uh, does, and he's done it in many films. So, yeah, but we'll, we'll, abs- we'll link those. Yeah. I read a I read a really good review about the film, and one of the main points that the reviewer made was that this film exhibits all of his best and all of his worst tendencies as a director. It, yeah, it literally, it it is a mishmash of of all the best and all the worst of him. Now, and yeah, do you, Drew, do you reckon he? I mean, it's clearly it clearly is intentional. But do you reckon he? I mean, it's hard to say that it's it's fully intentional because surely you need people to be able to walk away and review it positively, so you can't make it too confusing. But do you think it's his intention to make it? somewhat confusing on first viewing like do you think that's the intention to make it so kind of layered that you need to have seen it several times to be able to fully understand the full story um in some ways i mean maybe that's maybe that's why warner brothers keeps giving him money that's um, some way to boost the box office 
It, it is, yeah. but I just fear because it means that when you watch it the first time, which is kind of like the, you know, you either love it or you hate it on the first viewing kind of thing. It's, you know, that, that, that idea of judging a book by its cover or love at first sight. Like, it's either mm. there or it's not kind of thing. If, if that's the case, though, I mean, you, you're you potentially only getting half the story and therefore half the depth and therefore half an interest level in the film if if it is intentionally layered to the, the degree that it is. Um, I think comparing it very quickly to something like Inception, for example, which Sarah and I recently watched, um, I think that this film didn't do as good a job in terms of its layers. Like, I watched Inception the other day and still learnt something new again. Like, I fully understood the story. Oh, yeah. The reason why they're doing it for the first time properly. And, and you know, little things like that is always surprising to catch for the first time. But I feel like this film didn't do as good a job as Inception because it kind of was too big of a concept to be able to not explain properly, which they kind of did on purpose. Um, Drew, as you, you mentioned to me that there's a line in the film that says... Don't try and understand it. It just is what it is, kind of thing. Something along those lines. Yeah. of paraphrasing, but but that to the that yeah. sort of extent, or that's the gist of it. Yeah, don't, um, yeah, and, don't, and I don't totally try to understand it. And I totally appreciated that because it made it so much easier to just kind of get past that, and not be hung up on that point, while learning very critical mm. things following straight on from that. Which, had I been trying to hang up and pay attention to that and understand it, um, I probably would have missed the following points, which were as critical as that line itself. So. I think that the mm. film, um, uh, the film, I think tried too hard to layer itself intentionally, and tried too hard to be too big of an idea to be able to ex- to not explain, um, and for us to believe properly. Um, and then I also think that based on the fact that they didn't explain it properly, it meant that when there were things which could de- be deemed as plot holes, um, I'll say for example. Um, driving along and the car mirror is not broken and then suddenly we look away and we look back and the car mirror is broken then and then we work out that then suddenly someone shoots the gun at it in reverse and then the mirror unbreaks itself it's like well why wasn't it broken in the, why didn't they when they bought the car was the mirror not broken in the first place like you know that sort of thing where it's like well hang on what there's the you're missing bits here because that can't just suddenly crack on its own it needs to be a reverse crack like you know Things like that, which just became... I got hung up on the details of it, because being a Christopher Nolan film, he thinks about the details. I feel like the details weren't covered here or polished properly, so therefore I paid attention to that more than the overarching story. But that was just me. But I did I did thoroughly enjoy it. But, uh, Drew, do you have a plot summary for us there? And um, just so people know what the hell we're talking about if they have not seen the film. I have a rather vague one, courtesy of Rotten Tomatoes. We'll see if it's enough. Armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, the protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Um, It just says nothing. No, it says absolutely nothing about it. So to try and give it some more context, then let's put a little bit more meat on the bone. Bianca, this is probably going to be good for you too, seeing as you didn't really get the film or grasp the film too much. Um... Okay, so there's a guy named Protagonist, which, Bianca, do you agree that you hate that? I absolutely hated that to the ninth degree. That was just annoying, and I don't understand why he was named Protagonist. I don't find any reason for him not to have a name like Bob. Just call him Bob. John. Yeah, John. Thomas. Good name. Um... Now, Bianca, I, I completely agree with that. I also don't appreciate the fact that throughout the film he kept referring to this almost kind of like, um, if if uh, if this is a save the world kind of story, which this is definitely a save the world kind of story. So I think that Christopher Nolan actually cheaped out in some ways there, which I don't actually like. He came close in Interstellar, but this very much was a literally save the world story, um, and I don't like those sorts of stories too much anymore. I'm getting a bit tired of them. Um, I think the fact that in throughout the film he kept referring, the protagonist kept referring to this, the fact that he feels like the protagonist, the fact that he was then called the protagonist, I don't like. It's like, don't have him actually called the protagonist if he's going to refer to himself as the protagonist. Um, There's other problems okay. to that, which once you go through the plot, I will give my five cents worth because... Um, oh, so essentially so the story is, though... Um, 
uh, a man accidentally get a CIA agent accidentally gets caught up in some shit. Um, he uh, then has to basically commit suicide to try and get away from being captured. Um, and then because he did that, he proves his loyalty because he did that. Then he's let in on the secret of this mission that he has to go on called Tenet. Don't understand it. That's just what your mission is. Um, and so then as he goes along, he has to understand what the hell's going on. Suddenly there's this new invention where time travel is possible. However, when you time travel, you go backwards as in you can go forward in time, but you come out going backwards. It's inversion. You invert yeah, time. Yeah, inversion. So you travel, um, and you, you perceive time as forward, but you're actually traveling backwards. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and hence the word or the name. Tenet, it basically comes down to this Latin kind of idea of palindromes where certain things meet the same forward and back, well, as a palindrome is. But Tenet, because yeah. it's forward and backwards, it works the same. Um, yeah, so we're in a world where there is um, inverted time travel, I guess. Uh, and basically we have to put an end to it because as we discover throughout the film, someone's plotting to end the world using this technology. And that's what we learned. Pretty much. That's, that's, that's it. Um, to talk about the palindrome yeah. quickly, it's actually based on this thing called Seda Square, which is um, in France somewhere. Um, and all of the words, so it, it's this basically a carving that says Seda, Arepo, Tenant, Opera, Rotas. Um, and mm-hmm. all of those words are palindromes. But additionally, mm. you can set all those words up. So, Sator, um, if you use like a, what's that thing called we use? Acrostic poems. So, Sator, mm. you can go Sator, yep. Arepo, Tenant, Opera, Rotas. Um, and Rotas would be the ending of all of those words as well. So, Rotas, R is the last letter of Sator, O is the last letter of Arepo, so on and so forth. Um, and it's this also this mathematical thing that happens um, that basically the 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 what goes forward is also the inverse. So it's perfect mirrors of each other. Um, quite literally, even the way it's written on the stone is a perfect mirror of itself. So it's an interesting little concept to see and whatever. I don't quite know why um, Christopher Nolan used it. All of those words come up in the movie. So Sator, I think... In one form or another. Yeah, I think Sator is yeah. the organisation. The villain. The villain. Um, yeah. Ro- uh, opera, they, the whole thing starts in an opera. Rotas is someone. Um, and a repo is a place or a person. I can't remember. Um, but each of those ideas come up in it. I don't know if it's just because the fact that that's perfectly inverse of itself and the whole concept is that you can't change time but that confuses me too yeah it's just really confusing but yeah i don't know why that was used i just think it was really interesting that he did use it yeah uh drew Let's get your yes. thoughts first on the film. Please go to as much detail as you want to, um, or as little detail as you want to, but um, your basic understanding of the storyline and how you thought it carried out and played out and the character interactions and the characters and, yeah, yep. the, the concept. All right. Um, I don't even know where to begin with it, really. I, I, I guess, look, the, the way I look at it is, like, it's a spy film or an espionage thriller and you can see that the Nolan loves old movies and he's trying to take all the concepts of old movies and bring them into the present day and that's how I felt watching it mm-hmm. I, I I've said this a few times to you guys but I really like this movie I, I really really like it I didn't quite have the words when I finished watching it the first time I, I didn't quite know how to put any of it into words because I was so confused at what I had seen. All I knew was that I liked what I saw. And I took a bit of time to try and piece it together. And then watching it a second time definitely helped a lot. And the more I think about it, and I'm sure the more times I watch it, the more I'm going to be piecing together the puzzle. And I think that's what I like the most about it, is that it is a puzzle that's just going to be ongoing. And it does 
for better or worse, makes me want to go back and watch it more and more and more because I just want to keep hunting for little things in there that I may have missed. And I, I like when a film can do that, when it can bring you back and make you want to watch and rewatch all of it. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's a, a great many uh, of his good points and a great many of his flaws all bundled into one, but overall, I, I thought it was something quite enjoyable. As, as for, as for understanding the plot, you know, we, we joke about it, but I, I do think I've got somewhat of a grasp on it. And realistically, the, this whole movie is an origin story. And I like the way the way you understand that and how everything sort of ties together in a neat little bow at the end, or at least they attempt to. Obviously, we know that, you know, the more we think about it, there are some gaps in there. And, mm-hmm. and yes, we know that's due to writing and overwriting and overanalyzing the script. And, you know, maybe a second set of eyes on it would have been handy, but for better or worse, this is what we got. I do like that some things were a little bit different here to some of his other films in the... Uh, he changed it up. We do not have a Hans Zimmer score in here. We actually have Ludwig Göransson, the brilliant composer behind The Mandalorian and Black Panther. And for those of you that have been uh, paying attention to what he does for quite some time, he did the music for the wonderful comedy Community. And I think the music Um, is fantastic. It's definitely one of my favourite points of the film. Well, yeah, for me too. It, the music was absolutely something where I felt like it just set the tone of the whole film in the same way that Hans Zimmer nailed it with Inception. It just, it is this piece of the puzzle and I can't quite imagine it working the same way without it. I was quite impressed with the performances and I liked that it wasn't, you know, his his usual band of actors in there. He had his staple in Michael Caine, of course, and he brought Kenneth Branagh back after having him in Dunkirk. But it was nice to see, you know, John David Washington, who's still coming off the success of Black Klansman and getting to see him, you know, take take on a big studio blockbuster like this and getting to see him, you know, do his own thing and not maybe live in the shadow of his father's performances. That was a cool thing. Um, I, I think we are, we're all what, in agreement. We, yeah. No, I was going to say, what I do like is the fact that the actors that he does have an affinity to and, and likes to reuse. I mean, for example, we've got... Um, uh, what's his name? The, who was in... Um, oh, Killian good, Murphy? No... No, um, well, yes, him, how he was in, in, (laughs) but no, ah, for crying out loud, I can't think of his bloody name. What characters has he played? Um, Kenneth Branagh. I couldn't, for some reason, I couldn't remember bloody (laughs) Kenneth Branagh's name. Back then we had Kenneth Branagh in, um, in, uh, uh, Dunkirk, and now we've got, got him in, in here again. He kind of came back and reused him again. Um, same with... Um, uh, Michael Caine is just you know he, he loves to bring him out again and again and again and you totally see why too I totally get it uh, but I like that I like the fact that he does have certain actors he does like to use um, Killian Murphy definitely because he was in um, Inception and then again in Dunkirk as well but uh, yeah I like how Robin Pattinson's being added to his little band of favourites yeah I don't mind Robert Pattinson I know that Phil you have some issues has an opinion ha- yeah has an opinion um <laughs> but no well what uh, no, okay no but okay then being kind of what what's robert patterson done besides twilight what else does he do? and and i don't count the new batman because that hasn't happened yet that's not out yet um, um he Gibbery. has been no not yeah yet, but that was too small of a role but he's also been in like a whole bunch of he played sal uh cosmopolis the lighthouse he played salvador dali in Little Ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, rem- Didn't see that. Remember Me was a good film. That was a rom-com, but I liked it. No, um, Remember Me. I... Why the hell did that tie into 9-11 in the last bloody scene? It had nothing to do with it for the okay, whole minus, minus, movie until minus the last minus that, minute. 
minus that twist ending, that film is fantastic. I didn't mind it. It wasn't the stupidest ending though of any film though, because that made absolutely no relevance to anything. Um, The Lighthouse he was in did very well in. Um, Didn't see that. The The Rover Maps to the Stars. Didn't see that. The King. Um, What was that one with? with Reese Witherspoon, Water for Elephants. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that one either. Didn't like that film, but yeah, I guess. Look- Basically, my only issue with Robert Patterson is that he only seems to have done movies that I have absolutely zero shit in seeing. I want to... I-, I couldn't care less. <laughs> I want to see um, High Life, but I have Don't not yet. Um, it's a- it's about a black hole, basically, but... um. Got- oh, Interstellar. No, no, different one. Um, but High Life, I haven't seen. That. Yeah, I want to see it. That looks um, interesting. But yeah, yeah, he's been in quite a few things. He's he's been he he completely regretted Twilight in a way that you can mm. only regret Twilight. Because I used to read Twilight. I'm not gonna lie, I regret reading Twilight. My brain is not better for it. I don't understand why you would read that. I mean, I was a 14 year old emo. Philip, you knew me back then. Bianca, 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 do you you not have dignity or any form of self respect? No, I really didn't. Because I read the first three and then I read the last one thinking that it was going to be, you know, a great conclusion. And then it was just absolutely like the last book made me hate myself in a way that I've never hated myself before. I was like, why did I like this? Honestly, if we're looking at, like, vampire stories from when we were younger, the wrong one got picked up and put on screen. It should have been the Darren Shan series, because, honestly, they were way better. Oh, my God, the Darren Shan series. Teenage angst. No, they did make a movie for that, but they, ter- they it was terrible, remember? What, Cirque de Freak? I'm pretty sure there was an adaptation of yeah, that. Probably. Was that Cirque de Freak, the vampire's yeah. assistant? Yeah. yeah. I watched that movie. That movie was awful no but that's the that's my issue is that no no okay actually no my issue then is why did one bad movie series get made into more movies and one bad movie series get left behind as in twilight is equally as awful because it is equally as awful but somehow it's got this kind of like no but like it had like um robert patterson and the other guy because one was a love story and one was not one's not one doesn't count as a love story because it's just terrible summit entertainment played to teenage girls summit teenage girls are stupid never make something for teenage girls summit or teenage boys summit entertainment was trying to compete with the harry potter series and they failed everyone was trying to repeat compete with the harry potter series so they were trying to find the next big book twilight at least had a giant following you know what the worst thing is though i i remember watching the trailer for um twilight and going, holy shit, this looks really impressive. Like, this looks like it's going to be cool. Oh, my God. Like, how can it go so badly wrong from trailer to movie? Like, Can, I, can I give you a, a funny, weird movie connection? Uh-huh. The director of the second Twilight film, his brother directed the Cirque de Freak film. Oh, that's, Runs in the family. that's sad. Runs in the family. Makes shit after yeah. shit. The two of them both did American Pie together. They both directed American Pie. But American Pie is good. I know. I know. That's really yeah. okay. sad. Anyway, <laughs> bring it, bringing it back. Bring, yeah. bring it back to, to back Tenet. to Tenet. I really um, genuinely, bringing it back to Tenet and Robert Patterson, I really enjoyed his performance in this. I thought he oh was brilliant. Oh my God, brilliant. he was great fun. He was my favourite character in the movie and my favorite actor in there like he was just fun and he brought something else to it that i didn't think any of the other actors did like there was just something missing like a humanity in the characters that was missing and it felt very cold but he brought some sort of connection in for the audience he gave the audience a way in through charm through humor whatever it was but i felt like he was the way in for everyone yeah like he did well to connect with the audience and kind of you're Mm. right he humanized the whole thing because both the protagonist who i think okay so let's get on to the protagonist and the fact that he doesn't have a name and i will tell Mm. you why it's shit in a hundred reasons um but just Mm. the main ones firstly (laughs) 
Firstly, he doesn't have a name and thus just basically you can't connect to him. It's... No, that's true. No, you, you can't. You, I agree. Even if they'd called him, and I was thinking about this later, even if they'd given him a blank name and been like, you're dead, so you can't be who you were before, we're going to call you John now. John Smith. Yeah. Even that would have humanized him slightly more than calling him the protagonist because the protagonist... Based on... In most yeah, heroic just, lore... There's no connection. He's not real. Well, But, but most heroes are ne- like... Back then, we're quite seen very heroic, but nowadays are quite seen as arrogant. So it just makes his decisions Mm. feel arrogant to me, which I didn't like because I knew they weren't. But it felt odd because he was making all these commanding decisions. Anyway, and that was before we knew. So plot twist, at the end, we find out the protagonist, who just was recruited by this agency called Tenant, who has to track down all the inverse time stuff. Um, He's actually the head of Tenant. Um, and through time travel, he's actually traveled far enough back that he can create this agency is what we're assuming. And this is his origin not, not story. Just, not just that though, but, but in some ways the sadness of it, hearing Robert Patterson and, um, the protagonist talking about how, or Robert Patterson's character talking, Niall had talking about how they have this wonderful friendship and that this is just the start for him, but it's the end for, for, for Niall. 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 Neil. 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 Well, it's the end for Neil. Like it's it's this really sad thing of like, I'm at the end of my story. You're at the start of your story. Yeah. Like, isn't that that's really sad? I found that really sad. But that was really nice as well. But sad. That was really sweet, and it also was sweet that he knows that he lives into the future, and he knows that he lives in in the past, and that they're going to be friends for a very long time. That was the implication of it, and I enjoyed that part. Mm. I also have this theory that even though Neil dies at this point he might be still in the future. So this is the thing. I think that this film deserves a sequel so we can understand better of what's happening. Yeah. I actually... We won't get one, though. He doesn't do sequels, though. Well, well, he did do a trilogy for oh, Batman. It's done, too. They don't count because that's a Batman series. These aren't... He's, all these other films are one-and-done kind of, like, awesome films. The Batman ones yeah. don't count because they're just... They're, it, it's... It's Batman. There's hundreds of comics, thousands of comics. Like that's a, that's Batman. That doesn't. That's not the same thing as doing a original concept like Inception, Interstellar, um, that, all that sort of shit. You know, it's not the same thing. Yeah, that's true. But it just, I, I think there's a lot lacking in this story that could be filled in by a sequel. Like at the beginning, you. Oh, so quickly back to protagonist. The fact that he infiltrates all these places without a name just makes no sense to me like he joins this yeah. guy's the this guy's uh, mm. mafia kind of issue uh he makes friends with the wife uh, of the mafia boss like it makes no sense of all these people wouldn't you just be like so what is your name at one point and that's and they trust him fully they trust him with his, their, their lives yeah. and yet they don't know his name but yeah yeah at the beginning when he the reason why I also think it deserves a sequel is at the beginning sorry I'm getting all my thoughts out at once at the beginning when no that's okay go for it you're being like the film yeah pretty much (laughs) because you can't because it goes back and forth so much and it it revisits the same points and it revisits the same ideas and so much happens Mm. like so much happens in this movie he starts off as a CIA agent he sees actual bullet reversing in time before he knows about the inverse materials while he's at the opera Mm. and he's doing his very first mission someone tries someone saves him his life by shooting a bullet and killing someone who was about to kill him with an inverse bullet someone who we still don't know we have no idea who that person is that is never resolved so he, no, that's right. then he's captured by the people who were trying to bomb the opera because that was his first mission to stop the bombing at the opera. He was captured by these people and he took a suicide pill to, say, to save him from being tortured. Then he wakes up in a yeah. bunch of windmills. I still don't understand the purpose of that. <laughs> he wakes up in like the ocean or surrounded by windmills, lives in the windmills for I, God knows how long, but I think it's about a week. Because then... Yeah, it feels like it. 
Yeah, he's apparently there for about a week. Then he's inducted into this secret tenant organization because he passed the test. And then he's in India and then he's in uh, Sweden and then he's in another country and another country, Norway. Norway, and then he's back in Sweden and then he's back in India. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, where are you? Just stay in one spot. So I understand what's happening. I, I now see Bianca. I, I agree with you there. Where I think that again, that's almost what I meant by this film kind of does itself a disservice by kind of doing too many good things or or, or trying to be too too late at the same time. Um, especially because if you notice with all of his films, he he's not the sort of person to put kind of like um, you know a location at the bottom of the screen. As we you know, there were sweeping shots where we were overlooking. Um, what I thought was was parts of of Norway, like the border of Norway or Oslo, I should say. Turns out that we're in Estonia. Now they're both fairly Eastern European kind of in terms of architecture and look, or they're Northern European in terms of architecture and look. The problem being is that when you try and show something like that um, very quickly and then get into a conversation, it's like, wait, where the hell are we? What the hell's going on? And it. And and I know it's not entirely relevant, but at the same time, it's it is entirely relevant because they talk about it as if it is entirely relevant, um, and it starts to become more crucial as we go on as to where our location is at this point because we need to go somewhere. Like for example, getting um, the Indian woman from Mumbai over into where we are now. If we're in Estonia, if we're in in Norway, it's like what the hell's going? Like it does this. All this doesn't really add up, um, and not just that though, but. But setting it as in telling us what time we're in. Are we going forwards? Are we going backwards? Uh, you what's you going have on? to I mean, you have to look at what's happening in the scene to know if you're going forwards or backwards. So you have to like the when the boat's is, reversing is, or when you know. Yeah, and and now the the problem is because there's so much. It's because all of his films are so dialogue heavy, including this one. You almost get distracted by trying to look at what's going on around you. To work out where you are, to then come back to the the conversation, at which point you've missed something in the dialogue. Very critical because because not a single scene of this film um, has non-critical dialogue. Not a single one. Every single I would scene agree. Yeah. is critical to the dialogue, which means that you need to be paying full attention at all time. You almost even if you want to go and enjoy what's going on. You're going to miss something in the dialogue because you're looking at what's going on in that scene. And you, you um, can't even enjoy some of the, like, visual aspects because they mean something. Like, you can't sit yeah, and enjoy I, a scene because you have to be paying attention to, like, the car mirror that's broken. Um, and you're like, exactly. why is the car mirror broken? But it's this great chase scene and you're like, but the car mirror is broken. And you're you're annoyed because... Well, that I was annoyed. I was just like watching it. Wasn't broken it. Before. Yeah, I was like, why has no one noticed that that mirror? Like, aren't you checking your mirrors? You have. It's a very dangerous scene. Shouldn't you have known by now? <laughs> like, <laughs> and and not just that though, but not just that though, but but um, again, it's another thing which I think is most heavily, um, what most heavily compromises Inception, for example, is having very very important dialogue or exposition spoken either over during scenes with very loud background noises or sound effects or music or having a character with a heavy accent saying those scenes not to be offensive but if with a heavy accent i can't really understand that fully it kind of i you know you have to take it a little bit slower but for it to be rushed over and this film definitely does that if you look at there's a scene where they're in um racing yachts or racing boats um, and they're having a very mm. important scene or, or conversation to understand how we got here or what their next kind of mission is um, going forward. And we don't really understand what the hell's being said because there's too much water sound, too much wind, and they're wearing something over there. They're wearing like muffled pieces over their mouth as well, like a wetsuit over their mouth. And that's a critical um, scene also, because the wife... And it's critical. Yeah. Exactly. Like the wife tries, the wife to, tries kill, to kill him. kill the husband... <laughs> And I, do, I still don't know why. Like, okay, I know why overall he was a dick. But, like, what set her off in that particular moment where she was, like, he was talking about something very casually and then all of a sudden she reaches over and undoes his belt. Like, I thought he said something and I still don't know what he said. I wanted to put subtitles no, no on idea. throughout the whole movie. Yeah. 
Um, the other scene that did that, Drew, and I think you'll agree, is the scene we're in the red and the blue room. Um, yep. Where on one side of the wall, they're going backwards in time. The other, our side of the wall, we're going forwards in time. And now, at the end of that scene, you realize that when you're looking at it from one side of the, the, the conversation, mm. you hear the questions get asked. Um, and then we hear the answers get played back to us in reverse because on the other side of the wall, they are going backwards. So we hear the answers backwards. But then when we see the scene from the blue side of the wall, the other side of the wall, we hear the question backwards, but hear the answers going forward. Now, because we don't know that we're about to go to the other side of the wall, and, and, and mind you, at the same time as all this is happening, whatever's being played through the speakers is then being reversed at the exact same time. So we're hearing... The question, when we're on the red side of the room, going forward in time, we hear the question get asked, then we hear the answer start to come through backwards, and then halfway through the answer coming through backwards, we hear a, the something the that's playing the, the sound. Well, no, yeah. we hear the, the, the answer then through the speakers then getting played reversed for him, as in forward for us. So we're kind of, you can't really understand the answer because you're hearing it forward and backwards at the exact same time like two people are talking over each Actually, other no, in the same right. tone there's four, and everything. There's four things happening. So the everything from the blue room is being reversed. Then you hear the translation in the red room. Then you hear yep. the protagonist's answers in the red room. Is he in the red room? Yeah. yeah. You hear the protagonist's yeah. answers in the red room and then you hear his answer being reversed back in the blue room. So you hear all four yeah, things all at once. Like there's, cause they're yelling at all, each other and it's a very high intense scene. And then also there was drumming yeah. in the background. Like there was, and there was an echo in the room as oh. well, cause it was a very metallic room. And, and not just that though, but at the same time, you're meant to be trying to follow along when we're on the red side of the room and watch along with what's happening on the blue side of the room, which was very dark had two layers of glass between us with a metal frame, wire frame in it, so you could barely see what was happening. You had to try and understand why the lady was okay, despite the fact that she then gets in reverse shot in the stomach. Like, everything was happening... It, it You know, there was no, no, no effect to the fact that she was shot in the stomach or sitting there bleeding out, which I can't remember if she started out bleeding out or not. Um, bleeding out... And then suddenly, then the effects get worse and worse and worse. And then suddenly she gets unshot in the stomach and the bullet hole in the glass gets undone. But it passes But then suddenly she's her. dying now. But now but now suddenly she's she's dying worse because she got unshot in the stomach. So shouldn't she be fine now because she got unshot? Like, the, the concept of forward and backwards doesn't really work if the, the cause and effect is not consistent like i get that there's a an opposite effect but if you're saying if someone gets shot they get unshot well then they should be fine because they've got unshot they shouldn't now be in pain because now they've been unshot because now they're going back to the previous state which was they were fine um but the main issue with that scene was that again it was very important dialogue and we couldn't understand it because we we're hearing everything really confusingly and so then by the time we got to the other side of the room the blue side of the room and got to listen to the answers properly. You couldn't remember what questions were asked, so you didn't know why the hell he was, what what he was answering. He was just sprouting out an answer, so it got too confusing in trying to follow along with the scene because he'd been Christopher Nolan had been too clever in showing us how interesting this thing works and the technology that's involved in this thing, which by the way we're not meant to understand how it works. It's like, well, stop showing <laughs> us technology that goes with this thing that we're not meant to understand if you're trying to explain to us something very important. So the, the issue is that he, you know, it, it, it's, it's too critical of information to be playing at such an intense scene with too much going on and with too many ideas being played out. Again, on paper, it looks fantastic. And I'm sure if written down in a book, it'd be fantastic. But when you're seeing it on screen and you've got music and a droning sound and a tinny kind of, um, echoey room and audio play being played backwards and forwards at the exact same time and a question being asked and you're trying to look at backwards things happening and try and understand what direction things are going and why suddenly someone's in pain when they should be fine there's just there were just too many things going on for anyone to understand it's overwhelming without having it's it's overwhelming and again so christopher nolan worked on this script that... for 20 years for someone that worked on this thing for 20 years oh this would make complete sense for someone the watching thing, this, it makes no sense. 
The thing with the Red Room, Blue Room scene, um, and because it is such a pivotal moment in the whole film, um, funny thing, I've, because I've seen it twice, but I saw it in two different formats. I saw it in 70mm and I saw it at digital extreme screen. The sound mix is different between the two different versions. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. It's not clear I, at I, all. Genuinely, I, I, I have no idea. But I noticed little things throughout the entire movie where, where I noticed the sound mix was different and I was hearing audio differently. That particular scene, the dialogue was more audible in the 70 mil print than it was in the digital print. It's still... There's still too much going on and it is still very hard to understand. But it was different and it was a lot harder to understand on that digital print. I, I don't know why. I don't know what it what it was. I don't know why the audio mix is different, but it is. I also don't understand that because the majority of people will be seeing another digital version. It almost I makes agree, sense yeah. to play into that one more than the other one. I almost, I understand if you want to do something special for a seventy mil release, but yep. I, why would you handicap yourself? It also could be because the way seventy mil plays is that you've got. Um, the movie playing on one tape and the audio playing on another tape and you sync it. Whereas But the audio but the audio on seventy mil is on the um is on the magnetic strip on the side of the film. Is it? Yep. But it's still yep, just like but 35. it's still playing through two separate the way that it reads is it's still playing through two separate things that are functioning at two separate different times. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? You've got one reader reading the film and process like basically the slide, yeah. and then you've got something that's actually reading the audio and playing it through its speaker. But yes, it's synced. Yes, but they move. I know they move it the they, same way, yeah, but, but they're compressed differently. It's like when you compress for an iPhone versus compressing for a cassette. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So audio compression would be different, but it just, yeah. Nonetheless, there were some very impressive scenes, like the reverse car chase, despite the mirror scene. Oh, um, I thought that it was great to see it from two separate <laughs> sides. Um, I thought I... that there were great scenes. I don't understand the end kind of um, war movie scene. That still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I understand what they were doing, but at the same time, I don't understand at all why they needed to have an entire army why they there. needed um, why they had to do a pincer movement for it i didn't get why there no, was I get the a pincer whole movement, army either that yeah I, I i think it would have been would have made much more sense to have a like a crack kind of small team rather than an entire battlefield going on which just kind of confused it all and again it was visually spectacular to have people running backwards through an explosion or running forward as an explosion goes in reverse like it was all interesting but i just think that it was maybe more um, cinematography porn or um, visual I loved the... pornography rather than actual, you know, requirement or, or necessary to the story. I love the mirror between um, Neil and the protagonist. Stupid name. Um, how when the protagonist was arriving, Neil's team were retreating. And when mm, yeah. Neil's team were arriving, the protagonist's team was retreating vice versa. And just the way that they were both yeah. watching that happen in complete awe because it was pretty amazing. Um, what I didn't understand, and someone's going to have to explain this to me. The, so, so again, a lot of things happen in this movie and it happens bam, 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 bam. The yeah. time inverse machine, the, the, the machine that actually inverses objects, that's the machine in yeah. the red-blue room. They, they're the... The tenant team, yep. the military tenant team, who just come out of nowhere, yeah. by the way. Like, up until that point, it's all very espionage and all very spies and, you know. And then it becomes a military And operation. then it becomes a military army war movie from that point on. Um, that machine, that was the first time they found machine in that timeline moving forward. That's the point no yeah. we no it's not we saw it in the room 
um, in Freeport. Yeah, no, no. So, okay, the small one they've seen before, I'm saying they've seen, but that was the first time Tenant actually took control of one of those machines is what the whole thing was saying. I think they mentioned. Yeah. But one, they knew how to use it. Because they're... Ex- well, they're well, well, it was... Well, it was... Um, what's his name? Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character who explained to us how to use it and to get out of the right door. Yeah, so... Ives. That's his Ives, So they yeah. knew how to use it. They knew how to um, work with it. But then this is the part that confused the crap out of me. They reversed the boat. They put the boat in reverse. Yeah, I don't know how they got a boat backwards. I don't know how they did the boat either. Because the boat had had Tenet on board as well. You know, that's how they did half of them going forwards and backwards. There was... A t- there was on the upper deck, they were going into the machines, and then you could see them walking out underneath, going the other way. Yeah, like, like as in, like, okay, how did they fit how did they get the boat, the boat in, there? in there? Hang on, hang on, hang on. You mean when they get the big boat? Yeah, the boat's mm-hmm. going in reverse. Back. They, I can answer that one. That's easy. They, they didn't. Easy. They're going through time that's going backwards. They and they say it in there. They say, "Is there a film? Uh, no, sorry, not a film. Is, is there a boat leaving the place they need to get to to go to where they're where they yes, are?" Yes. Okay. Fine. I understand that. They go find a they boat. Went, so they hop on a boat. That they go and jump on this boat. That's uh, I, I understand. Is okay. Even then, I understand as being manned by people that aren't related to them. Yeah. They've just gone and jumped on this boat. They're all in reverse. Don't you think someone on that boat's going to yep. notice? Oh my god, all of these people running around are running around backwards. They probably just used the company to commandeer it. But how do they commandeer it in the future when they're going into the past? Unless they sent someone back further to commandeer it. What? See, that's where I start to get lost with these things because there's little details that may not seem like a big deal, but they don't make sense. So there's that. There's the mirror. There's the fact that in order to once again travel forward through time, you have to have a machine back in time. There's like the way that this story is framed, you can't have, you have to go back and then go through a machine so you can move forward again. So theoretically, if that were true, everyone who went back would never be able to go forward because there isn't a machine that far back. Like imagine if you went back into the 1600s. There's no machine there. You'd just be forever going back to the dawn of time. Um, yeah, so yeah, so they were inverting things to the past. They would have inverted the instructions for how to build the machine back to Seda, who would have built it in the present to be able to send things back to the future. <laughs> you, it does, you, um, to get to the future, it doesn't matter. You can get to the future anytime. You just have to wait. It's the fact that they've got to get to the past to save things. Do you know what I mean? But they come up with, yeah, but, <laughs> but they come up with the machine in the future, but the machine allows them to send things back. They don't, they don't just send people back. They can invert objects back in time, which is what they did. They inverted. That's how he's getting his shipments in in the middle of nowhere. That's how those shipments, like the first shipment that he finds with the gold bricks when he's a kid, that was sent back. Okay. All right. Fine. That was sent back. I get that. Now explain to me the the whole concept of Neil going, it's happened. It's done. You can't change it. The first person to go back. This is this is like a massive problem with time travel, the theory of it. If time travel has been invented, the first person to go back in time, even if they go back in time and do not touch a thing, they just go back in time, stand still and go forward in time, they've already changed the past by existing there. How how does that work? It means that it's not finished. Like you it, it means that there's nothing set. Time doesn't set still. So Neil's Not just that, that whole complete theory of it, of which like, you know, what's done is done. You can't change the past. Does not exist. Cannot be Drew, possible. Drew, what, one thing that I misunderstood that maybe you can clear up for me. When did the Vietnam holiday take place? 
<laughs> before the events of the entire yeah, movie. Yeah, no, 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 but how far be how far before? A week before. A week before. Yeah, it was a, a week, week before. before. I thought it was years before because there was she's no, no, she's it's referring to it because the when we first meet the the wife, the estranged wife at the dinner party kind of well at the restaurant, the conversation they're having, they're talking about as if she's just lied about this um picture being taken and everything like that almost as if a lot of time has passed since they had that holiday in vietnam yeah okay so if, they're talking as if it's been a long time so the vietnam holiday the opera and the war the pincer movement all happen at the same time i realized yep <clears throat> so that no no i know that i know that because they go back to they go back in time to line up with the Vietnam holiday, but how can the events of what's happening in the film factoring in the time to travel places like, for example, flying from India to Oslo? That's about a 12-hour flight at least, so there's a day. Factoring in all the times and everything like that, it's impossible that all this stuff has happened... In a week. Yeah, I know. ...within a week. That's, impo- because, that's physically because impossible the protagonist going o- forward in time. Yeah, the protagonist only moves back backwards in time near the end. Like, Yeah. He- and too much has happened in the space of a week. Again, the wife is talking about this whole thing. She's back in her everyday life talking about the sun and everything like that. Um, about, you know, um, you run away from me and, you know, the sun. You can't get access to the sun, blah, blah, blah. All that sort of stuff. Too much time has happened in about a day then. It's like we first meet her then, like a day after the Vietnam holiday. Bullshit. Also, like he's only been in that windmill for a day. Yeah, like. Like, there's a lot of things going on which don't make sense in terms of... Again, he it's almost like Christopher Nolan thought too much about going backwards in time that he didn't think about the logic of normal time for us, like as in actual time. Um, anyway, he, he clearly thought about it a lot, but I think that there are things that he may have missed a little bit and got a little bit confused along the way and twisted along the way. But anyway, it is what it is. Look, well, I thought it was really um, spectacular anyway, visually. I'll have to see it at least two more times, I guess. I'll be um, I'll be very interested to see. So he used um, theoretical physicist Kip Thorne as a consultant on the film. The same guy that was the consultant on Interstellar and wrote a book about the science of Interstellar. So I'll be really really curious to see if there comes any any more information on the science behind this film as well. Definitely. Uh, Drew, could I ask for yes. your scores, please, if you've got any? Yeah, I I actually gave this a bit of thought the other week. Um, uh, I, did, I, I am very generous to it. I'm, I'm actually not too critical about it because at the end of the day, the film did what it was meant to do and it, like, it, it got me hooked. It made me happy. I enjoyed it and it's going to bring me more enjoyment for years to come, I think. The same way Inception has. So on a technical level, I'd definitely give it an I give it an eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. On a on a technical level, um, the only reason that it's not any higher is because I think visually, while some of that stuff I I've never seen effects like that in anything before. I still think that it's not the most visually impressive Christopher Nolan film mm-hmm. that. Uh, position is still reserved for interstellar yeah but yeah i'd give it an eight out of ten there and i think just as an enjoyment thing uh a personal score i'd also give it an eight i I really really enjoyed it and i look forward to watching it again and again bianca um again visually i actually did adore it i think one of my favorite scenes is that fight scene um, the forward backward fight scene. I think that's. Yep. I couldn't fathom how they did that. It was blowing my mind every second of the way. So, for that scene alone, I'm actually going to give it a nine because it just I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and the the plane crash was hilarious, and I love the fact I didn't know that they actually crashed a plane into a building, Philip. Yeah. But you told me that, and I was yeah. laughing my head off. Thought that was great. It was um, not an easy feat for them to convince an airport to allow them to crash a plane. <laughs> oh, I, just for that conversation alone, they deserve a 10, but um, I'll be conservative and give them a 9. 
but for the, yes. for the plot, I have to give them a, like a seven because I under—I I did, I, I joke a lot, but I, I did understand what was happening, but I don't think Christopher Nolan quite understood what was happening, which is why he was like, put that line in of don't, you don't need to understand. Um, hmm. He was almost trying to be too clever to cover his tracks. Yeah. Or maybe some, some misses. Um, okay, so you've given it a nine and a, and a seven. Um, okay, no problem. Um, well, I will give it, technically, I'll give it, um, I'll, I'll give it an eight. Um, I think, I think uh, comparing it to other Christopher Nolan films, it probably gets a seven um, in terms of the maybe level of detail to the, 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 the details, level of mm. details for the details or the, the smaller points. Um, that's normally what he does really well. He covers all his tracks. Mind you, I've only seen it once, so maybe I will uncover it. But I do think that a film needs to be able to kind of, um, you know, uh, reveal its hand on the first viewing at least. And I don't think this one did this particularly well. I would um, agree, yeah. And so I think that it gets, a, it, gets an, it gets an eight because of the fact that I am a huge fan of um, physical... Uh, effects or physical visual effects or, or actual um, staging and propping. So, for example, the plane crash scene, I absolutely love that and I'm, I'm so glad they actually did something real like that rather than um, relying on CGI. I think they were the conversation was that the CGI crash would cost roughly the same thing, so why not just do it for mm. real? Um, and I'm glad that they did that because, again, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, I miss... In films, when things are CGI and you can tell they are, I miss the idea of practical effects. So um, this gets an extra point purely for the fact that there were fantastic um, practical effects. Um, and also, as Bianca said, the fight scene was fantastic. You know, they clearly had to have one of the the um, stuntmen performing or, or choreographing their moves in reverse, which is impressive That's to so do. That's so impressive. Um, I mean, one day get yourself... Um, yes, true. I, I've got an interesting, I, not on the choreography so much, mm. but the fact that John David Washington actually did all his own stunts in the film. Well, I find that even more impressive. But and well, uh, did he again, play himself you know, twice? You only... <laughs> well, yeah. that's not. As, as, <laughs> then that's fine. But if he didn't, I uh, gotta <laughs> scrap that whole thing. Forget all the points um, I gave. <laughs> I, I, again, it, try and record yourself backwards. Tr try and say something. Try and record your listeners. Get 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 yourself something. Get your phone out and get like a voice recorder thing, and say something backwards, and then play the clip in reverse and see if it sounds the same forwards as it's supposed to. So, for example, the words "twa cool" says "look out," but it never sounds like that. It's always "look out." Like it never sounds properly or proper. If you can somehow manage to get yourself to sound ridiculous in reverse, but so that when you play it backwards, it sounds correct forwards in the right kind of um, um, emphasism at the right points in the word and everything like that. If you can do that, good job, because that's the level of detail that had to be carried out by the actors um, and the stunt people throughout this film and doing things backwards, mm. playing them forwards. And that another, is so well done. Yeah. A another quick technical point, because um, this, like this, I don't even remember if we've already mentioned it or not, but the thing that gets me with this film is that the entire film was shot on a mix of 70mm and IMAX film. And it came out looking perfect. The whole movie was shot 70mm and IMAX, which technically is all 65mm film. Uh -huh. Nothing was shot on digital. Like This is a whole different It's, it's thing. going back to the thing of, I, I respect that. Like, I respect mm. the, the using the craft that, that exists that's kind of almost becoming old technology in some ways or some form or even not even the, the main mainstream yeah. kind of media or, or, or use. Um, personally, I was probably... Uh, I'll give it a seven and a half, but I think after my third viewing, it may go up to an eight. I'm going on, on what I understand right now. Again, I think that a film needs to kind of show its hand now. I always appreciate a film more like Inception, which I think is Christopher Nolan's best film in terms of that idea of revealing um you know there's the main storyline but you can almost appreciate it more on each subsequent viewing because you see more of the story you'll get more depth or more layers almost like inception um you know that's what i appreciate and i think this film just didn't leave enough on the table for the first viewing 
compared to what can be revealed by subsequent viewing. So it gets a 7.5, but I'm happy to extend that to an 8 after a couple more viewings when I kind of get the full depth of the story. Um, interesting concept. I just think that there were some, some timeline mistakes in there. But going from that, we've now given all of our, stores, our stores, scores. Let's go to our <laughs> sick end of the week and our um, what the quote. Um, my thoughts in fact no uh bianca do you have a suggestion perhaps uh for second of the week uh yeah i think um aaron taylor johnson for the pure fact mm-hmm. that you two seem to never know who he was i'm very happy mm-hmm. i caught the very first scene he was in i just turned to drew i was like is that aaron taylor johnson um now yeah. phil and drew you two never know when he's in a movie so no, we, no, that we chameleon, chameleon esque yeah. acting. Now, oh. now this is something that yeah we spoke about this before going on air. Now this this is um, you know the guy from Kickass. We all know the guy from Kickass with the curly kind of afro kind of hair, like the, the curly yeah. hair. Um, for some reason, in every film that he's done since Kickass, I don't recognize it's him until about halfway through the thing. So looking at say Godzilla, for example, where he was the. <laughs> The, 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 the main protagonist throughout the entire bloody movie. The protagonist. I didn't know it was him until maybe halfway through, and I was like, oh, hang on. Is that the guy from Kick, Kick-Ass? And in this one, yeah, same point as Drew. We both got it just towards the end of the movie um, that it was him. In fact, I think they're the only two movies that I've seen with him in it since seeing Kick-Ass. But, you know, that, that's the the point is I never realise it's him. Um, so, yeah, we'll either give it to him or can we suggest... Uh, Robert Patterson for the fact that he um, really did a good job at not being Edward from Twilight in this. He, he surprised me because I believe that he can do other characters. Um, when he was Cedric Diggory, it was too small of a role to really give a shit enough about him. I think the characters in the... It, I think the book version gave more of a shit about Cedric Diggory than the film version did. I don't know, he's just some guy that rocked up in the fourth year and then died off in the fourth year, so who cares? Um, you know, I, I think that I think that he surprised me by being believable as someone else and being a decent actor. So I think it should be him for that reason. Did anyone else have any suggestions or anything like that? We could also... I mean, I'm open to a tie. I was going to say we could also give it to Robin Pattinson because he successfully halted Batman production one week after they went back because he got COVID. <laughs> well, there you go. I think Robert Pattinson now ticks it over the edge and, and sways it in his favour. <laughs> I'm happy to give it to Robert Pattinson. Yes? Yeah. Done. Robert Pattinson, you are a second of the week for yeah. this week. Congratulations to our What the Quote. Um, last week's quote was there's a sequel. Wasn't as good. That, my friends, was from The Last of Us Part 2. So if you were paying attention, you would have realized that that was a quote that we mentioned in the episode two weeks mm-hmm. ago, which is part one of our review, and was in fact a quote from Joel within The Last of Us Part 2. Our quote for this week, though, Drew, do you want to deliver it, or do you want me to deliver it? You got this. The beacons are lit! That's all you get. There's more to it. You'll hear it more when you hear the answer. The beacons are lit. That is the quote. Let us know if you uh, know what it is. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, text message. Carry I just pigeon, wanted to hear you say it again. <laughs> You're welcome, Drew. Yeah. That's I the quote. Um, thank I you agree. very much. Thank you both. I agree. appreciate that. Um, yes, that brings us to the end of our uh, Tenet review and discussion. Please go out and see it if you well, haven't. Let us know what you yeah, think. Yeah, it's a good it. movie. Um, if you have seen it, it confuses the yeah. fuck out of me, but it's a good movie. What yeah. Christopher Nolan film doesn't? Exactly, but you know, we'll um, we'll be sure to watch it a few more times. I, I have no doubt about that. I won't until it's out on as DVD. Always, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going again this week. <laughs> but yes, um, as always, we will uh, we will see you next week or last week. Because right. oh. it's because it's tenet clever, and because no one listens to our show in order because they don't have to. That's true. It's the joys of Ooh. podcasting. It is the joys of podcasting, and yes, um, all of you out there have a wonderful, wonderful week, and remember to be excellent to one another. Philip, Bianca, how do we end this show? Yep. yep.